All right, let's see if we can get Mr. Slaney on the telephone. Spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. Hey! Sweets! What is going on? My, your mustache is looking mighty thick. Isn't that something? Yeah. I know. It's exactly what I wanted, man. Did you know you had it in you? Uh, I knew I had it in me if given the time and the pandemic. Right, right. Do you think this is something you'll stick with? Uh, well, it's very tricky. There's a couple of factors. I still have okay, the... Wait. Can, I, can I ask you, at your wedding, can you picture yourself having a mustache? <laughs> See, that that is certainly one of the factors. And okay. the women in my life have made it clear that that's not a good idea. So it won't okay. be happening. It won't be happening. Fair enough. Um, and that by that, I mean my fiance and my mother. Um, <laughs> the two most important women. They're the ones. Uh, there is a, like a bit of uh, an internal shame about it. Like, I don't, I don't know what people are thinking when they see the mustache. Maybe nothing at all. But the only time I've been yeah. out in public is uh, in a mask. And so if I'm in the grocery store, nobody knows I've got the stash. <laughs> That's perfect. That's right. So it's my little secret unto myself in my own little here in my room. That's right. Yeah. But I'm proud of it. Has has the marathon got in touch with anyone about how it's clearly not happening? Yeah. Are you signed up for the marathon? No, no. I was just curious if you. Oh, yeah. 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 They uh, they rescheduled it quite, like, quite a long time ago, like probably almost at least six weeks ago when things were really shaking out. They, they said very early on that they were going to reschedule it for the fall. And that was a little nerve wracking because we're like, well, they're going to pick another long weekend and it's going to be our wedding weekend. Um, wow. And then it wasn't. They, they rescheduled it for the Remembrance Day long weekend. So it's in November. But funnily, they contacted everybody today and they're like, hey, if uh, you're signed up for the marathon and you're still up for running on uh, Victoria Day weekend, we can all run and just like let us know how you did. Like just kind of as like a way of encouraging training during glum sure. times yeah oh well, that's kind of neat yeah wonder how that'll go I, anyway i think you should ha definitely have your mustache for whenever you run the marathon well you know like if we <clears throat> um I'll, I'll put it like this if we get married in september i won't have a mustache in november but if we don't end up getting married in september i could keep the mustache till till marathon weekend sure yeah, I but, think you should grow it even like like just as <laughs> thick as possible. Yeah, oh yeah, just go uh, full. Um, what's his name from uh, from A Star Is Born? That guy, the guy we oh, both Sam like. Sam Neil. Yeah, that's not right. Sam Neil's from. Uh, it is Sam something though. Is Sam, Sam. Neil from like a from like a dad rock band? That's Vince Neil. <laughs> Sam. Somebody's Sam. yelling at their phone right now. He's got the big white I mustache. Know. Yeah. Sam. Doesn't matter. Whatever. That guy. The old guy. He's got the great really mustache. Sam Neill. Oh, yeah, no. no Sam Neill is the guy from Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's going to it's gonna come to us who who the other Sam is. Or who, who white ma mustache is. I'm Googling is. it right now. Okay. All right. Great. Great. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Sam, Sam Elliott. That's our guy. Yeah, maybe by, by November I'll look like Sam Elliott. I'll certainly have aged that much. And and one day I'll have a podcast and you'll be like, 
you stole my damn voice. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to it. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to when we fall apart. So how's your week going? Have you uh, encountered any murder hornets? No. The murder hornets, I had a, I gotta say, I had a moment on Sunday night where I just went like, it wasn't, it was just sadness. Yeah. I was like, oh, murder hornets. <laughs> it actually gave me a, a genuine, I was like, I just got to go to sleep. I got to go to sleep and approach murder hornets again tomorrow. Well, like, has anybody actually double checked revelations to see like what we should be looking for? Because it seems to me we're checking a lot of boxes these days. Like if the apocalypse is to happen in our lifetime or in our death time, it's probably not just going to be a big, brilliant flash of light coming out of nowhere, right? Like, probably it's going to start with entire uh, U.S. states catching on fire, which happened. Or the ocean levels rising, which is happening as we speak. Or a deadly pandemic that's killing hundreds of thousands of people, which is happening. And then I think locusts is in there, and maybe we can change that one out for murder hornets. But do you, murder hornets have been around. That's that's the encouraging thing for me. That's true. That's true. But they're <laughs> here now. People have existed amongst the murder hornets for quite a while. But we have them here now. Yeah, it's it's like everything. Once it gets here, we're like, oh, we didn't think it would happen here. They're edible, apparently. There's a they have a wasp and hornet festival in Japan. Uh, which is where these murder hornets are most prominent. They have wasp and hornet festivals the way you and I might have like Burger Week or a taco festival. <laughs> and you just go to this. Is there some sort of toxin that like gets you like high if you eat it? Like, is it like a like a puffer fish situation? Uh, I don't know about that. I assume to be eaten, they either need to be like cooked and that just kills the the venom. I mean, maybe they're not even venomous. No, they are venomous. Anyway, um, something has to be done to them, surely, to make them safe to eat, but they do. Uh, and apparently, the the way to eat these particular beasts is to, like, douse them in grain alcohol. And so it's like, you know, when you were, like, 19, you went to a party and there was, like, gummy worms in a bowl of vodka? Yeah. It's like that with murder hornets. <laughs> hey, remember uh, vodka melons? Well <laughs> Yeah. Well, now we got vodka murder hornets. <clears throat> what We're was, over in the bowl over there. What was Careful. the premise of that? You just uh, unscrewed a bottle of uh, of vodka and like jammed it open-ended into an open watermelon and it just flooded the watermelon with booze? Yeah, but apparently you had to let it soak for like a full day. Like it was a, a laborious process to essentially make an edible yeah. for alcohol. Right, yeah, just make it more palatable for people who don't yeah, want to like, drink. I never saw someone eat a bunch of watermelon and be, get like hammered or anything. But I, I don't know if I was ever at a party where people were having vodka melon. Right. But that is the genesis of what was like the biggest drink of the last two summers, which is blue lobster. Like everybody loves these like fruity vodka drinks that are just like cross all demographics. And the origin of that is fruit soaked in vodka. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Like a sangria, I guess would be a fair comparison, which there's a bunch of fruit kind of floating and mixed with, doused with alcohol what was the term when uh there was like a really trashy party and there was just a like a big swamp water of booze in the bathtub and they'd stir it with a paddle did you ever go to one of those well people called it different things people called it red death or purple jesus <laughs> or uh, i think there was one other name but no i actually never went to one of those i don't think i would trust it no that that's wise 
But I certainly had friends who went to like, you know, Santa Fax or Acadia, and that was like a regular part of their homecoming adjacent parties. Yeah, they're both party party towns, party yeah. universities. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and for a brief moment, I lived in one of the party towns in Wolfville, like for Acadia, when I, we worked at K-Rock before I moved into a uh, oh, yeah. shitty apartment. And before we moved into shitty apartment together, I moved, I lived with three other university students right. in a two level house, which had paper thin walls. And, uh, I wouldn't recommend it to someone who has already graduated. <laughs> I, like I really, really thought it was going to be fun. Um, but no, no, it was not fun. No, I remember I had to like get up at one point and be like, guys, like I hate to, I hate to be the guy, but can you like stop screaming at, your ps4 at 3 a.m yeah but they they were adults they should have known not to do that when they had another adult trying to sleep in the house well i mean they also just like i'm defending you you from nine years ago (laughs) (laughs) and i appreciate it i appreciate that they would also just like you know smoke bongs in the house and like oh yeah yeah it was one of those houses kind of thing sure but but it was it was fine it was an abbreviated period of my life you don't talk about it very much (laughs) there's a reason for that yeah i stayed in i didn't get a lot out of it i i never really lived i i never lived with uh, a group of people and you're other than you know my future wife you're the only roommate i've ever had and so i i really never had that horrible experience of like having to share space with people you're not close with and like and you and i it was just a year and we we seem to work out great and here we are today but um but i did kind of miss out on on that uh that culture of having this disgusting apartment with like a, a bunch of friends. I did have my first ever uh, solo apartment, if you want to call it that, was when I lived uh, for one month in New Glasgow because I was doing an internship at the radio station. And it wasn't an apartment at all. It was a boarding house. And I likened it in my head to the show Hey Arnold, where you remember he lived with his grandparents and they ran a boarding house. And so there was all these like weirdos who like shared their hallway. Oh, was that the premise? <laughs> that was the premise of Hey Arnold, yeah. And Whoa. this is what it felt like. I just had this like room with a low ceiling and a bed, and that was it. And I had to like, I had to share a bathroom with people. And oh, it was, it, this building was right across the street from where that girl got abducted like three months right. before. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience. That's that's a rough setup. I can't imagine... But I'm at like if that was your first setup, it prepares you for almost everything. Well, to the point where I moved in with you like three months later, and I was like, "This is great." <laughs> was yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I also did not have to lift a finger to get an apartment in Kentville. Like I got this job on one interview, which was easy, and yeah. and then you called me, and we we didn't know each other that well. We'd done a few street team shifts together, and you were like, "Hey, you want to live with me?" And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. This is a dream." Yeah, I was like. You know what? Well, that was the thing. After my last experience, I was, which was my only bad experience with roommates, which, like, you know, I, I would still message one of the guys. Yeah. Um, but that was by far my worst experience. And then, like, you, the guy I lived with first in the Valley is a great guy. Uh, then I lived with Brent once I moved here. Like, it's always been friends that I've lived with. So Right. But, like, 
I've had nothing but good experiences. I don't remember us even complaining about that apartment until it got literally unlivable, until the locusts came. And we had some landlord troubles, I guess, in the last couple of months, and then you didn't get your deposit back. But like, we were not as disgusted by that building as we ought to have been. I would say in August, remember when like the new season of Arrested Development came out and we were like trying to um, watch that. I think it was on Netflix at the time. That's right. Yeah. And it was so incredibly hot in our apartment and there was no, it was such a hot summer and there was no airflow and there was no air conditioning and there was just nothing. And you said there were air conditioners last time you drove. Yeah, they installed them. But man, that was rough. Well, you know what I remember? Uh, I went to Walmart during that like heat wave and I think it was during Apple Blossom or like some kind of big festival where we had to be there on the weekend when we normally wouldn't be. And we're just cooking in this place. And I went to Walmart and I bought one of those box fans this like square fan uh so it's not on a pole it's not like a pole fan it's not a tower fan it's a simpler technology than that it's just a perfect square and i figured out you could wedge it in our kitchen window and then there could just be like constant airflow from outside into the house and we could create a cross breeze the problem with that fan was the knob was on the side of the fan that air would blow uh out of air would expel <laughs> yeah. from the side that the that the button was on so if you wanted to turn the fan on and off you'd have to go outside <laughs> onto right. the deck and reach through the window to say nothing of who was all out on the deck smoking well, their cigarettes i still tell that story when like I'm, if i find myself in a conversation about shitty apartments i'll say day one i moved in with my friend matt he told me the only rule in this building is don't call the cops on tj and and people like inevitably they'll say who is TJ and I'll say does it matter <laughs> don't call the cops on TJ is is a red flag <laughs> when they ask who was TJ you say he's the guy we didn't call the cops on that's right that's, there was, that's there, the answer there was one time where I was walking uh, I would go for like day walks when I did the evening show and TJ and his customers would just like sit out on the on the deck all day long and just like yeah. collect pogey and smoke weed and just sit in the heat on this deck and they'd glare at you if you drove into your own parking spot and it was best yeah. not just not to acknowledge them but i would go for like day walks but i had my headphones in and i remember i was uh turning the corner back into our parking lot and for whatever reason my headphones were on but they weren't playing anything and i could hear what they were saying and this gal who's hanging out with tj she says to me although thinking i can't hear her she says and i'll never forget it bet you educated ain't you Oh, yeah. I remember that. I was like, oh, it's something about like this uppity guy with this education. <laughs> yeah. educated. Because I don't know. There was buttons on my clothes that made me educated, <laughs> ain't I? And uh, I, I just remember thinking like, I guess if we're grading on a curve, if we're averaging I'm out, I'm educated, ain't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Betcha educated. Well, let's let's get into the world of uh, TV, shall we? Yeah. Now that we've done that walk down memory lane. Now that we... We covered off the last 12 years of our life. Well, actually, I, I brought up um, Murder Hornets because I wanted to mention The Simpsons. Uh, like two months ago when, when COVID-19 really started to to flare up, somebody pointed out, hey, look, The Simpsons predicted this too. In season four, there's an episode where a virus gets in a package, Homer opens the package, and then Springfield has like a little mini epidemic. Um, right. Apparently, that same episode has a killer bees B plot where like 
mania gets so out of hand with the epidemic that suddenly there's killer bees in the same goddamn episode of the simpsons of which there's a thousand and that is eerily remarkable i was thinking about that but they have had 30 years at 30 years of 22 episodes a year where they have three plots going on at least so the amount of thinking outside the box they've had to do yep is is incredible so literally you could say like oh my god uh uh a rocket crashed down to the earth and it was like a certain satellite or something and you could there's a simpsons episode that references that right oh i'm sure that's true it it doesn't surprise me so much that over 30 years they've had an episode where there's a health crisis in in springfield it's the little minor things that it's like nostradamus predicting stuff like lady gaga being airborne in her super bowl halftime show or donald trump announcing his presidency while coming down an escalator these are specifics you won't eventually get to in a course of 30 years that is true I need to like do a fact check on some of these. Like I need to actually watch the full episodes. Yeah. That should be a, a Disney plus category. You know how they have like <laughs> the hall, like the Halloween episodes. Yep. And then like they should have the, the Simpsons predicted future episodes. Well, do they categorize like Halloween episodes on Disney plus? Because it's often been said around Christmas time that Netflix should really like pair up all the office episodes, all the Christmas episodes, all the Friends Thanksgiving's episodes. Like people would binge 10 Friends Thanksgiving episodes on Thanksgiving weekend for sure. Yeah, like if you go into The Simpsons, there there are like, they do categorize like holiday episodes and biblical episodes. <laughs> that's <laughs> like a great idea. Kinda, it is, it's really smart. Actually, that's something that's missing from from Netflix. I know you can create like a, a to watch list. I don't know anyone who actually uses that feature, but it would be cool yeah. if you could like create playlists the same way you would on Apple music episode playlists on Netflix. That's true. Or even shuffle from show to show. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm going to watch three hours of TV. Give me one office, one friends back to back just for the full three hours. Right. Right. Yeah. I feel like Jen would love that. She could go episode like, Grey's Anatomy episode New Girl. New Girl came back last week. That was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, episode New Girl. Episode Friends, I guess, and like, yeah, whatever else. Last Thursday, um, I watched two Never Have I Ever's before we did the podcast. So I had seen two of them when we recorded, and then yeah. on Friday night, I watched the remaining eight in one sitting. Good. I think it's the most Good. of a single show I've ever watched in one sitting. Granted, they're half-hour episodes, extremely palatable but we just dummied the whole first season in the course of 24 hours. I also finished an entire season in a week, actually like in like four days yeah. this week, which was upload. Uh, oh, upload. Okay. Well, we can talk yeah. about that in two I, minutes. We'll get into that. Did you not watch any more Never Have I Ever? Because people are loving this show and I get it, man. We haven't. And it's it's mainly because I, I'm i kind of trying to plant the seed in Jen's mind. Like, I want that to kind of be a show that she goes to that I walk in the room and it's playing. She'd love it. It's totally up her she, alley. She does. She was just like, I didn't think you were really feeling it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have any reservations. There's, I would rather watch Upload than that. But then, you know, there's, you know, we don't have beggars can't be choosers here. No, that's right. I mean, I don't know. It it seems like we get waves of new content. Like this week, Dead to Me Season 2 comes out, so I'm really psyched for that. Actually, that's tomorrow. Dang, that's great. 
the new nice the dead new... to me remind me of dead to me before we before we get off so okay we can watch that well it's great because starting tomorrow you'll have two seasons to watch yeah and never have i ever did you watch ozark season three or are we in the same boat on that we're not in the same boat i did watch ozark season okay. three and it actually gets it back a little it gets it back okay the, i heard there's that. a new there's a new character introduced and he is so phenomenal. Oh, he's such a good actor that it is hard to fathom that he's never been in anything else. Wow. That's how I felt about like, Julia Garner when we first saw her in Ozark. That's that's exactly right. So I won't I won't spoil too much about who it is, although like he comes in pretty early, possibly even the first episode, maybe the second episode. Yeah. Um but I just hope that this character actor does like big things in the future because he had a challenging role um, given his like circumstances and, and mental state. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's pretty interesting to watch. Well, I haven't seen the performance and I, I gather it's not tonally the same, but what you're describing is how I felt about Andrew Scott when I first saw him in Sherlock. I was like, I've just never seen a person who has this energy before. This is like a new kind of uh, of persona or just, just energy on my screen. Didn't see him yeah. again for a long time. And then we all felt the same about Hot Priest. Right. I had I had a similar vibe as you. It was like, oh my God, this Moriarty guy is... What is this? Whoever plays him is insane. Yeah. Like, this is amazing. Adam Driver gives me that sense too. You're watching me and you're just like, I've never seen anyone like this person before. Right. Did you see the, the John Oliver thing he did this week? No. Where he, he was just talking about Adam Driver, but had like kind of a throwaway line. He's like, unless it's Adam Driver, rip my heart out, Adam Driver. I, I did see that. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I watched The Lighthouse. I saw The Lighthouse. What did you think? Because I, I want to watch it, but I'm, I'm kind of torn on how I'll feel. I would love to talk to you about it. Um, okay. I don't know. I, does, I, it, I, does it make you think? Sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't want to spoil anything about it except to say that like the first hour is pretty fun because it's such a unique world. Um, and the rhythm of it is so cool. And Willem Dafoe is gone in this guy. Like his dialogue is just so good. Every word that he says is just perfectly delivered and written. And then the last 45 minutes, that's when it gets real strange. And you know, going in that it's going to get real strange at some point. Um, okay. and, and in the end I was kind of like, I'm not sure what that movie was trying to tell me. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, really? I don't know if I get it, to be honest. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, th I, th I thought visually it was great. I thought the acting was really good. Um, but I, I never need to see it again. It it certainly gets uh, disturbing at times in ways that would disturb me. Um, okay. It's very heady. But uh, but probably a great piece of art, or it's like an art movie that mainstream movie characters go to and they're uncomfortable during. You know what I mean? Okay, a little bit. Like I'm, it's so weird. Do you have like a, a reasonable comp for it? Like a, a comparable movie? An another movie that it's like, or even just in the same vein as? Oh no. It, cause, no, Whoa. I don't think. I mean, I'd need a little more time to answer that question. But do you remember in Trainwreck when 
she's going to the movies. She's at the movies with John Cena and they're at like an, a black and white art movie and it's Daniel Radcliffe as a dog walker. And it's just supposed to be this movie that doesn't make any sense at all. It's just like, yeah. oh, it's just Daniel Radcliffe and he's smoking a cigarette and, and is a dog walker. And like, it kind of felt like I was watching a real one of those movies. So it's like, oh, it's just two random actors in a lighthouse. <laughs> okay. I like it. But it was cool. So so it's not necessarily super plot driven. Sometimes you're just like, am I just watching people who care for a lighthouse? Um, no, it is plot driven. It doesn't okay. it doesn't it doesn't travel around a lot. It's discussion based. But they're I mean, look, they get there and they're like, hey, we're going to be here for four weeks. And so immediately that puts a clock on the on the movie. You're like, OK, this four is four weeks. Yeah. So okay. our, our job here is four weeks and then things kind of don't go as planned. Gotcha. OK. OK. Yeah. I will watch it. You should. It's on I Prime. Just, when's the right time to watch this movie? Well, we watched it uh, after watching The Burbs, which I had never seen. And I'm doing it on the on the blog. Okay, and, first, what what do you think of the Burbs? Have you seen the Burbs? I've never seen it. No. The Burbs is kind of really fun. It's I down I downloaded it. Yeah. Seeing someone blogged about it like eight years ago, I think I was still living at my parents' place. No, more than that, I guess, ten years ago. It's uh, it's kind of a Halloween movie. I kind of wish I had thought of that because it would probably be a good movie to watch around Halloween. It's interestingly not a thing. It's not in the same discussion as like Hocus Pocus. It's totally very similar. It's also kind of a pastiche of like Rear Window Hitchcock right, that's, movies. That's what I was thinking. Like he's stuck at home and there's creepy stuff happening in the neighborhood. He's not really stuck at home. He's like the idea is that he's decided to take a staycation. He's like stressed from work. He's going to stay home. And his wife okay. is Carrie Fisher, by the way. And she's like, well, let's go to the lake. Let's go like relax at the cottage. And he's like, no, I want to stay around the house. And really it's because he and his buddies are obsessed with the weird family that's moved in across the street and 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 then they they have reason to be obsessed with the weird family because they're very strange and so i it I, makes it fun that that it's him and his buddies well yeah except for that um one of them is bruce stern and he's good but then there's another guy in it who i can't even remember the name of he's basically like in my blog i describe him as uh dan Aykroyd light he's just not as good as dan Aykroyd. Um, and I kind of was disappointed that they didn't swap him out for Carrie Fisher. Like she's in this movie. She's so funny. Why isn't his wife in on this? Like, why does she have to be the archetypal nagging wife who like, doesn't understand what the boys are up to? She should be crazy about this too. And I'm feeling something's really off with the ages. Like he's friends with Bruce Stern and well, his wife is Carrie Fisher. <laughs> well, he's neighbors with Bruce Stern. Like this is the, this is the oh, whole okay, point so of the movie. Just the neighborhood. Gotcha. This is the point of the movie is the cul-de-sacs bring together all these strange different kinds of people. I'm 100% with you. I just yeah. thought it was like, you know, like the the guys he watched football with or whatever. But this is like, you know, the neighborhood dudes. It's kind of like, um, shoot, uh, the cable guy. Is that what it's called? The Jim Carrey movie? Yeah. It kind of has a similar comedic vibe as that because it's not uh, a riot and it's not like an easy hang. It's definitely a comedy, but it's also a dark comedy. And it's very campy, but it knows it's campy, and that gives it a lot of license. And I'm kind of surprised people aren't like cult into the burbs because it's good. I think people are cult into the burbs. Maybe. Like, I think I remember hearing like Chris Hardwick being like, oh my God, I love the burbs, in the same way that like he would love Clue. Right. Well, and it's not dissimilar from Clue, although Clue is more outwardly comedic. Right. 
Yeah, so I watched The Burbs and then I watched The Lighthouse. We did a double feature of those very strange movies. And is is that a good vibe? Like, when should I watch? I need to be in the right headspace. Like, I feel like it's not a hangover movie. It's probably not a hangover movie. I don't know Jen's tastes perfectly, but like the way you describe Jen's tastes as being, I don't want to say pedestrian, but like she loves NCIS and New Girl. Yeah, right? it's totally. It's not like either of those shows. <laughs> like she's not. She's not typically willing to do to delve deep into it. She doesn't want to have to work for it. It's entertainment. No, she really doesn't. She's like, I respect and that. She'd be the, she'd be the first to tell you like, yeah. listen, I just kind of want to like, shut off. I'm an accountant. I don't want to like, you know, get super into a crazy plot here. Like a, a whodunit or something I'm good with. Right. You know, we could watch gone girl movies like that all day. Well, have you not seen knives out yet? Didn't I learn that recently? Yes. No, we still haven't watched. You it. can't watch the lighthouse before you've seen knives out. Okay, fair. That's that's fair. much. That's a more important movie of the year for sure. That's on the list. So I've got Dead to Me, Knives Out, The Lighthouse, and The Burbs. And The Burbs for sure. Hey, uh, you don't need to watch The Goldfinch, but I did. I watched it for you. And it was not good. Well, no. Alternatively, I think it's not as bad as people say. But okay, I uh, I tried to read the book last year. Because uh, I wanted to get ahead of the movie. And the book's like a thousand pages. It's so long. And I I also kind of have this like weird obsession with the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. I'm just like interested in that as like a, as a qualifier of what makes words good. Right. Uh, and uh, side note, those came out this week actually. And Colson Whitehead is the first ever novelist to win Pulitzer Prize for fiction for back-to-back -back novels. He's only the fourth person ever to win it a second time. And he's the first person of color to win it. So... Good for Colson Whitehead. Have you read his novels? No, the first one was called, uh, or his first winning novel was called The Underground Railroad, which is being adapted into a TV show, which we will certainly talk about um, if it is indeed released in 2020. But it's a cool premise. It's kind of like a Tarantino-esque um, revisionist history about the freeing of, like, the freeing of the slaves during that time. But if The Underground Railroad was literally a railroad... Oh, yes, I have seen that. And so he wrote the book and, and won the Pulitzer for it. And then uh, his more recent novel, which just won, is called The Nickel Boys, which is um, kind of a, a loose uh, retelling of uh, apparently uh, like a boys school in, I think, like the Jim Crow South. I think we're dealing in that era again. Um, sure. And uh, it was a, it was like quite a quite a hotbed of of abuse like ch ch children abuse i don't think his books are like like jack ryan not a walk in the park <laughs> no kind of thing. Yeah. No, okay. no but uh he's great anyway uh the goldfinch by donna tart won the pulitzer prize for fiction uh and i all i knew about it and all i could get all i could glean in the first hundred pages i i managed to make it through was kid goes to an art museum with his mom the museum blows up mom dies uh boy steals a famous painting because his mom loved the painting and then like he conceals this painting through his life and uh he lies a lot to get things a anyway like it the the movie wasn't that bad but i could tell having not read most of the book that they were leaving important stuff out yeah 
because there's just stuff that just doesn't get answered. Like why the museum blew up, for example. That doesn't, people are like, hey, it's just one of those exploding museums. Yeah, it seems like a, probably an important plot point. But we watched it all. It was two and a half hours and we're like, we're going to finish this because it's not. Yeah. Ansel Elgort, Baby Driver notwithstanding, is a bit of a charisma vacuum, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and frankly, I don't think I I don't I didn't get Nicole Kidman's point in the movie either. She's kind of like she seems like she's going to be the other most important person in the movie, and then that doesn't really play out. It actually turns out to be Finn Wolfhart's character who has the biggest impact on the story. And I'm just I have a problem with Finn Wolfhart, which he probably doesn't deserve, but I just kind of get annoyed by his dumb face. Sometimes people get. Um... Once, once a book gets a Pulitzer Prize, it's kind of like, hey, we can make a movie out of this and it'll be a good movie. Well, sometimes really I, great fiction doesn't adapt well. Sometimes a book lives all in a character's head. And how do you put that mean. on the screen? Yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of a, a maybe a misled idea. Well, you read, idea. Uh, you read A Visit from the Goon Squad. Could they uh, turn that into a movie? I, I didn't finish A Visit from the Goon Squad. No, it's not even long. I know it's just so all over the place. Oh, okay. And then I went to the <laughs> kind of like looked through the end, and it was just like a bunch of like equations and shit. Yeah. And that made me be like, "Whoa!" It's like a I PowerPoint at the end of the novel, more or less now. Yeah. Like, is that a book that that is digestible in Audible? I have like fifteen Audible credits. I don't know. Nobody talks about. A Visit from the Goon Squad. Like, when was the last time you heard yeah. somebody say that was my favorite book? I don't know. I, I mean, when do you hear anyone say anything's their favorite book? Well, that's a pretty good point. Uh, on that note, if I can uh, be a, a reading braggart for a moment, I'm about halfway through East of Eden. Yeah, man. <laughs> do you, have you read this book? No. Good fucking that's God. That's a big book. It's, a, it's, it's, it's maybe the most miraculous piece of literature I've ever read, and I'm only half done. It's. I just Dude, can't believe what I'm reading. Why have you not gotten into Infinite Jest? Well, obviously because you're reading East of Eden. Well, but... I just don't think they're written the same. Like one thing that's lovely about this book is that it's it's not flowery at all. It's not trying to be. And I'm not saying that East of Eden or that uh, Infinite Jest is is trying to be something it's not. But you you would be the first to admit that's not an easy book to to dive into. And East of Eden kind of is. It's like the the language is pretty straightforward, but the story is just so epic. And I use that in the truest sense. The villain in this book is like a villain I've never read before. Like I've never read a book where I was genuinely afraid of a character in a book. Like I've seen movies where people scare me. I have never been so afraid of someone who is nothing more than words on a page. And she is really something. Wow. Yeah. Nice. She's the villain? Yeah. Kathy Ames. She's fucking terrifying. Oh, also interesting. Yep. I feel like that's kind of ahead of its time in its own right. Probably, yeah. Anyway, that's 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 been my quarantine book. I'm I'm taking it slow. I'm a slow reader in general, but I just this is one of those books that like gets so recommended by people who read it. It's one of those books that they say changes your life. And so I was like, it's time for me to it's dig time into time for this a life changing book. Yeah, I could use that. We haven't yeah. talked about uh the Parks and Rec reunion. No, no, you're right. We haven't. Um, overall, I feel like our vibe is, I'm thinking it's probably the same, which is it 
was not the best episode of Parks and Rec ever. It did everything that it had to do to kind of like tie in the present times, maybe to a fault. Right. Where it was like, we really need to establish what we're doing here all whilst, you know, showing that Leslie Nope is still the same caring character she's always been and like highlighting some of the eccentricities of some of the other characters, like keeping them all so on brand that, that, they're all doing the things they're known for. Exactly. They were all kind of just cartoons of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, by the end of it, like Jen and I were both like, that was good, but I don't think I laughed out loud. Probably not much. I don't remember. I I actually felt, I had a little bit of a hard time feeling uh, Leslie Nope in Amy Poehler. I thought that like Nick Offerman, he found Ron again really easily. Uh, and yeah. he's the most nuanced character in the show besides uh, Leslie and Adam Scott too although he looked like a, a skeleton he looked terrible I don't know what was going on with him and then the other ones were just kind of like little duck-ins um, it's funny did you notice uh, in Chris Pratt's garage where he was filming there was very clearly a guitar box from like Guitar Center in the corner of the shot like he no. clearly had ordered that guitar to his house so he could be Andy which right. I thought is kind of sweet and it was like, uh, yeah, I, I kind of wondered if that was something that he had gotten like a long time ago. Yeah. Like just an Andy Dwyer customized Gibson. Right. It felt a little bit like fan fiction or you know what it felt like? Uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It, it felt like this thing that does not belong in the great series. It's fine, but it's it's kind of like too meta and it's kind of too aware of itself they kind of try to, yeah, they're hitting, trying to hit all the beats, including, yes. you know, 5,000 Candles in the Wind at the end. Which they've done as their swan song a lot of times now. That's right. That's how the series ends. Yeah. Well, is it? I'm pretty sure. they. Yeah, they sing it like when uh, they all come back to the park's room and there's babies, I think, and they sing 5,000 Candles in the Wind. I'm pretty sure that's how the series ends. I don't think so. I just watched this a couple weeks ago. All right. I think it does a lot more jumping around than it does. It does for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, uh, actually it's like a Tom Petty song that's playing at the end. They did a weird thing. No, no, no. Wildflowers plays when Chris and Anne leave the show. Yeah. And then they, then, um, when they're taking a picture outside the parks and rec department, that's how it ends. And it says like, they're like, Hey guys, are you ready? like for the picture. Okay. And Amy Poehler, Leslie Nope says, I'm ready. And like, right. Q like, it's not, um, what was the song you said for when Chris uh, and wildflowers? Uh, is it like American girl? Cause yeah, that, it that, is American. Yeah. Girl. That kind of rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, that's actually a really good song to end Leslie's story on too. Totally. And yeah. and I think they use I think they use three Tom Petty songs throughout the entire season. One right. of the or throughout the entire um world of Parks and Rec. Series, yeah. So it's kind of kind of a nice kind of a nice little nod. I thought it was fine, but I, mostly just kind of kind of a shell of itself. Well, and something something else that is going to I think become a the new normal is is uh just readings of of scripts that already existed. Yeah. 
so community is doing an episode i know and they got donald glover back they got donald glover back weirdly it's like a season five episode did they just like pick pick an episode that everybody likes and like involves everybody yeah well it's like the episode about chevy chase's funeral i think oh because they can't get chevy back is that what it is that's right yeah uh, well, that kind of makes sense. But they can get like Shirley Chang and the Dean and everyone else. Yeah, but Walton Goggins was in this episode and apparently they couldn't get him. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Who, who did Walton like, Goggins play in Community? Oh, he was just like a random bit part character in it. Like, I think he played like a reverend or something. Oh, okay. For the episode. But they can't get him, so they're replacing him with someone. Did you know that... Uh... Uh, what's his name? Joel McHale and the guy, Ken Jeong. Do you know they're doing like a community rewatch podcast? I just saw that the other day. They must have just started that up. It's called The Darkest Timeline, which is a good name for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just their little quarantine project. I think I would be down with watching the first three seasons of Community. That's yeah. where the magic lies for sure. Those were all very good. and And similar to... You know, a lot of series that like, you know, even Parks and Rec, one of those shows where you kind of sweat out the first few episodes and then you really get into it and you start to appreciate the beats, which is what I was doing with Upload. Yeah. Um, I really found that with Community. Like okay. I almost started watching it without even really having any feel towards it. I remember thinking really started liking it. I remember thinking Community found its footing really fast and that in fact the first season is I think the second season is probably the best and the third season is good, but I think the first two are magical. Yeah. Is the, is the one of the first two seasons when um, they do the whole pottery episode? I I feel like that was really the, the point where I said this show is the best and there's the no ghosting rule. Oh, that is so good. Yes. That's so funny. And certainly the paintball episodes are really great. Yeah. The, uh, Dungeons and Dragons episode is a season three episode. That's one of the, that's like for the, the history books for sure. Right. Uh, but is that the, is that the darkest timeline episode? No, the darkest timeline episode is it's a bottle episode and the whole thing. Um, it's not the bottle episode that we know the term bottle episode from. That's, that's right. the one with Annie's pen where she can't find her pen. They're all trapped in the study hall. No, it was another, right. it was another bottle episode where they're at Troy and Abbott's apartment and Jeff keeps uh, rolling a dice or something, flipping a coin or something. It's a dice, I guess, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And each uh, side of the die represents a different timeline. Reveals a new reality. Yeah. Very Rick and Morty. Well, it's Dan Harmon. That's right. So uh, Nick Cage is going to play Joe Exotic. Yeah. We know that's happening. Uh, Did you hear about the thing that happened with Carol Baskin and Jimmy Fallon? I heard that there was a, a a prank, but it wasn't run by Jimmy Fallon, was it? No, no. It's actually so clever. And I don't think there's any kind of like legal problems with it. It's just such an interesting pastime for these guys who are like stuck in quarantine. I guess they're just roommates and they're just doing this amazing prank where they've like created a fake uh, uh, PR company that promotes celebrities on talk shows. And so they call up talk shows. They call up like bookers for talk shows all the late night guys, Ellen, like anybody who's still taking guests and producing shows. Yeah. And they say, I represent, you know, um, Ryan Reynolds uh, for his movie. And we'd like to get him. On the, and the, so they basically just like pretend that because 
there's no in-person meeting right now and because everything's being done virtually, you can pull the wool over people's eyes really easily. And with Carol Baskin, uh, they tricked her into thinking she was going to give her first interview after Tiger King to Jimmy Fallon. And what they did was they just pulled generic audio of him asking questions to other people over the years. Right. And she answered just the audio. And I don't know if you can see it anywhere. I don't know if they got C and D, but it's so it's pretty mean, but also it's pretty funny. It's it's just requires so much creativity. And it's my understanding, having not seen it, that they don't like mock her, but they do trick her. I think I I like that. I like that it's kind of tasteful. Yeah. It's not in like a a super um they're not like hardcore bullying. That's my understanding. I haven't yeah. seen it. Neither, neither have I. And then uh, Jim Gaffigan is going to play Rob Ford. Yeah. I thought that was an, a weird thing to happen. I thought there was even a Rob Ford movie. Rob Ford is, it's a TV series, I think. And okay. it's so interesting because like five or six years ago, that to us seemed to be like the most unbelievable thing. And now we never even think about it. No. To, well, to the extent that his brother is now the, the premier. Yeah. And and unpop and unpopular or popular in his own right, but um, it's it's it was just for a little while like all anyone could talk about. It was the biggest story in the world. It was the crack smoking mayor of Toronto, and then he died super fast. And it's just this weird faint memory that they're going to capitalize for for Hollywood. Yeah, so strange. Uh, you got any other TV news? I got all kinds of stuff. I, I realize I'm pretty chatty tonight. Oh, all right. Let's do it. Taika Waititi is making a Star Wars movie. We don't know anything yes. about it, but he's going to direct a Star Wars movie. That's official. You both approve of that, right? Yes, he's the best. Uh, that seems like a fun idea. The Blacklist is a show that's still on with James Spader. Uh, I understand. It's like one of those overstated, it's welcome, like serialized network, dingy dramas. Totally. They, in order to get around uh, lockdown... In order to finish their season, they're going to animate some episodes. Yeah, I kind of like, I think you got to appreciate that. Yeah, I do. That they, that they're like, hey, show, uh, not great as it may be, we're going to, we think it's worth it enough for us to animate it and give the fans, you know, the show they want. Hopefully it's that not just like a contractual, you need to finish 15 episodes to get your bonus. Kind of thing. Well, what's strange to me is that it's the blacklist. Like if it was community wanting to get their episodes out so they don't lose their momentum, they can pull that off because they did animated episodes and they're inherently by definition, a quirky show, but the blacklist, as far as I understand is not a quirky show. Not a quirky show. No. <laughs> so that's going to be but very I don't strange. Think they're going to, but at the same time, I don't think they're going to acknowledge like, whoa, you look a little different. <laughs> like, It'd be weird like, not to, though. It looks like you think it's going to be like... Well, if they could get like Frank Miller on board to like really give it some street cred, then they wouldn't Ooh. have to. Or like, But like, yeah. otherwise, it's just going to look like Archer. And that's inherently funny. It's funny to see... Like when you see James Spader in the bumpers for Blacklist, he's wearing a trench coat and a big hat. You're, that in and of itself is funny. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, you're gonna correct. draw it, it's gonna be really funny. He's gonna look like spy versus spy. Or yeah, that's that's exactly right. 
So we'll see. But I, 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 like you, I applaud the effort. Tom Cruise is going to try and make a movie in space. Yeah. So he's working with NASA and SpaceX. Elon Musk like had a baby and then he went on Rogan today. Elon Musk, I, I think we're losing him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he sucks. Like, he's he's doing some really, really weird stuff, yeah. including whatever he named his kid, which is like a whole new level of... Yeah. It's like AE-12. It's X and then an, one of those AE symbols. Yeah. And, then, and then there's some numbers, which, as I understand, are the numbers of a jet he likes. Like a plane. Right. So that's it's not like in any way shorthand for like Jackson or something, is it? No, it's just, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. I, as I understand, it's not legal to name somebody this in the state of California. So I don't know how they're pulling it off, but I'm sure they'll get their uh, way. Some, something getting... nobody's talking about either is that this is Elon Musk's seventh child. It's not interesting that he had another kid and Grimes is not that famous. And yeah, he's like he's had them with several different women. Yes. Grimes ha- isn't that like it's really weird Trump style stuff. Yeah, like yeah. he's going down a Trumpy road. Well, and he went on Rogan today, which is kind of a Trumpy road, uh, for better or worse. But he's in talks with with Tom Cruise. Speaking of sketchy people, Tom Cruise wants to make a movie in space, which is so Tom Cruise. But you and know what? Someone said we'll do it. Yeah, well, it's because it's Tom Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Why not? If someone was going to do it, it might as well be Tom Cruise. He is uh, ambitious to a fault, and we all love it. So go for it. Did you see the Jimmy Fallon joke where he said, uh, weirdly enough, it's the sequel to Cocktail? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I would love to see Tom Cruise act again, though. Like, like really act. Because yeah. it's been a long time since he was like truly an amazing actor. Why don't they do like a charity play? Like why why don't they do like a charity a few good men or something? Uh, Where they quarantine yeah. everyone in the same place for like two weeks, everything has to be like delivered to them. They're in like a bubble system basically. The whole cast is in a bubble. And then after two weeks they deliver this fucking amazing play. You pay ten dollars and then all goes to charity. Because I don't think anybody wants to be quarantined in a bubble with both Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. Fair enough. They were going to do um, like one of those live NBC productions where they do like a play televised, but like really well. They were going to do a few good men with Alec Baldwin as the Jack Nicholson part. Um, Kathy or Jessup. Anyway. Um, I don't know if that's still happening. I mean, obviously it's not in rehearsals right now, but that's something I heard about like three years ago. So uh, I'm guessing that's not happening now. Probably not. I've never seen A Few Good Men. It's great. All right, I gotta watch. One of the great courtroom movies, as you know. You give it your ass. Well, yeah, and it's, like, we're talking about Tom Cruise performances. I think Tom Cruise's greatest performance is probably Jerry Maguire, but he's had a lot of good ones. But they were all then. It's been so long. And this is coming from somebody who adores a Mission Impossible. But he's not, like, acting his face off. No, of course not. Literally acting his face off. Right. Like he's pulling his face off because sometimes it's a mask. <laughs> That's right. They did do that. Um, what do you think of all these celebrities reading to us on the internet? Is that really cheap and easy and free content for them? Is that, are we are we being fooled into thinking this is content? So who's done this so far? Like Samuel Jackson did like 
stay the F home kind of thing. Yeah, that's like a really small version of it, but like now it's stepping up and there's like a new project called Harry Potter at Home where different celebrities read different chapters of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and Daniel Radcliffe read the first chapter and I listened to the whole okay. thing and it was lovely and it's certainly a good get to get Daniel Radcliffe to kick that off, but they also have like Dakota Fanning and David Beckham and uh, Stephen Fry, which is, that's he did all the audiobooks for Harry Potter. He's a great Harry Potter reader. And now Andy Serkis is going to read the entirety of the Hobbit, which, I mean, I there's few people I'd rather hear read The Hobbit. That's a great get, but right, but and and the, I think with that one in particular, there's a charity angle which I have to appreciate. But this isn't content. <laughs> like I don't know if it's if you're using it to like sit your kids down and have them hear someone read them a book. That's good. But this was already written. It's are you so desperate to like get your celebrities out there? It's a, it's less vapid than the Imagine video especially if there's a charity angle, but, but I'm not, anyone can read Harry Potter. We all have that book on our shelves. Yes. Yeah, it's true. And part of the allure of, of, you know, there's already a movie, there's a book you like, I don't think an audio book bringing like a celebrity in to read that is going to really blow your mind that much. No, no. It's dumb. (laughs) All right. So we're in the same place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, that's that's all I have. Yeah, actually, the only other thing I had was I mentioned the live-action Disney Hercules remake. Turns out that's a Russo Brothers movie. They're going to do it, okay. the, the Avengers directors. And they have said they're not necessarily going to just like reshoot the same script as the old movie, but it will be funny, and it will have the songs. That's good. The music is great in Disney's Hercules. I think I might like that more than the way they've been doing these. Yeah. Um, I will say I watched uh, Zombieland. Oh yeah, you ever seen Zombieland? I tried to watch it and I found it too gruesome. It's a little, it's a little gory yeah. and kind of like jumpy too. But it's a fun overall. Both movies actually delivered. They were, you can see why they're kind of cult classics. You watched both of them. Yeah, it was just like a fun thing to do last weekend. We were looking on Crave and what was around, and those were both on there. Man, we did a Bridget Jones back-to-back double feature the same day we had that okay. gun scare. <laughs> yeah, and I I wasn't sure if I had I thought I had seen the first Bridget Jones movie, and then as I watched it, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, which also means I don't know Pride and Prejudice apparently. Um, and then I definitely had not seen Bridget Jones two, which was a dumpster fire. <laughs> it was horrible, but we sat I've there. Heard that one's bad. We sat there and watched both of them, and I ate my burger. And I drank my double IPA and then I went to sleep. Yeah, that was that was the exact same mood I was in watching uh, Zombieland and Zombieland Double Tap. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. well, um, let's talk about shows. It's my turn. Do it. My turn to pick. And I know you're keen about this show, but I'm going to I'm going to snipe upload from you because I I need to I, I just watched it. And so it's fresher in my mind. Uh, sure. Count me down. I'll do my best. His name is Nathan. His name's Nathan Brown. Yeah. Okay. All right. Count me down. All right. You're going to recap upload in three, two, one, go. Nathan is like in his late twenties, early thirties in the year 2030 something. It's the future and technology has really gotten quite distantly far from where we are. For example, uh, Uh, self-driving cars and the technology to upload your consciousness once you're dead into some 
cloud that projects this strange, surreal, heaven-like space where you can await the eventual death of your one true love. And so when he gets in a self-driving car accident and almost dies, punctured lung, he's passing away, his girlfriend, who he super doesn't really like, but she's obsessed with him, uh, kind of persuades him to sign off on being uploaded. He does. He goes to the upload land, and it's a real um, uh, real tough adjustment. He does kind of befriend his angel, who's a, a, a technician who kind of serves as his, as his spiritual leader in his um, transitioning into the afterlife. Seems like there's probably going to be a little romance there because she breaks the rules and tells him her real name, which is Nora. I went, I must have talked for like 90 seconds. You were you were a minute and ten seconds. Yeah, you were seventy seconds. Well, I realized I, that's I, fine. I, I pussyfooted around before I actually got to the afterlife, which is most of the episode. It's funny you kind of did what I usually do, which is yeah. like you're you're framing, you're getting stuck on one thing that you're like, no, I got to get through this. Well, we should really get ourselves a stopwatch or something because it seems like that's technology we can acquire here in in this new format for our show. You're totally right. I mean, I could even like just turn around and like point towards the clock. That too. Yeah. Kind of thing. So which, whichever you want, really. Maybe I'll brainstorm um, that for next week. Did I leave I anything mind. out? Did I, did I uh, miss any of the major points of the pilot? It's probably tough for you because you've seen the whole season. Um, well, I did actually write the full thing down. Um, but I think you, I think you kind of nailed it. Um, so his angel is a customer service rep named Nora who like kind of has a crush on him, but is also messing with him because she thinks he's like a douche. Um, he's really like a Jeff Wingery style character. I guess, man, but he does not have the charisma of Joel McHale. It's it. Not in this pilot. You know, you know what's weird about the whole show is that it's kind of shot like a, like a CW show and yep. it's, Maybe because the guy looks exactly like Arrow, and I think they're actually cousins in real life. I see that. Um, but he um, he really kind of finds his own, like, it, it gets to a point where you start to really appreciate the beats, and there starts to be jokes that aren't plot-driven at all, and those right. are kind of the best jokes where, like, someone in the writer's room just goes, wouldn't it be hilarious if then, like, this just happened? Yes. And they just grant an extra 15 seconds something that doesn't service anything but is just hilarious for the right. sake of being being in the show they really get there on this show now it's not necessarily consistent but it was one of those things where i went oh man maybe this is just greg daniels genius well i have no doubt that greg daniels is a genius except it's hard for me to ignore the fact that he and mike sure uh led the American office to its great success. Like they're the two geniuses behind that show being so successful and funny. And Mike Schur, of course, so famously created this high concept existential sitcom that just ended. And this kind of seems like uh, Greg Daniels answer to that. Cause this, it could also be described as a high concept existential sitcom. It is darker than a good place. There are, are weird, like sad tones to it. Really Nora's whole side story about how her mom died along like before the upload conversion and her dad won't sign off on going to upload land because he wants to go to heaven to be with her mom. And right. she's like, come on, dad, heaven doesn't exist. And so like that, all that stuff would not happen in a good place. Um, but uh, on the other hand, I kind of thought like some of the, 
some of the world he created was a little half baked. Yeah, and it it gets a little more full baked, or at least in its own way. Like it, you know, they they develop the world more. Yeah, and you start to you start to appreciate some of the characters more. Um, but you're right. I did do some reading on this, and they both sat down in 2016, Mike Sharon and Big Daniels, and they talked about like the scripts they were making, and they were both, I think, kind of like, oh fuck, it's the same. Like we're making a similar show. And even in the writer's room, I guess someone had that thing about the swearing at first where like swearing doesn't happen here. And so they had to like, they had to adjust a bunch of stuff. And also Black Mirror came out in the subsequent time. Well, that's the thing just in general. And we've talked about devs so much recently. And like, I've just, it's starting to be a very heavily populated territory. This, Mm-hmm. Uh, dystopic, futuristic allegory about how the technology we have here in 2020 in the real world is starting to get out of hand. And I'm not saying yeah. you can't make that, but it's got to be pretty impressive if you're going to go down that route. I finished Devs, by the way. Oh, yeah? Um, you know the Russian hacker? Yes. In the in the first episode? Yes, her you boyfriend? That's Zo- no. That's Zoe Kravitz's husband? Oh, interesting. Yeah. She was on... Uh, armchair expert the other day which i know i always talk I about not liking but she's super cool i'm a big Zoe i listened to it yeah it was cool yeah yeah she's yeah. very cool um but yeah so uh like it's the weird th- the weirdest thing about it is that it's shot like such a high cw drama but it's a comedy yeah do you know what i mean like it's it's lit and shot the same way as like you know it's a great comparison that's very true yeah, like Daredevil or Arrow or something would be. You know what's something that was like kind of just a throwaway immersion plot point that I did consider was like really half-baked is he's in the elevator. This is the first time he's left his room and he's going to go down to get some breakfast. And he gets in the elevator and there's a woman in the elevator who's black and white. And and so we've already seen this idea that they recreate your image from old photos and video footage of you. Um, and she explains to him that she's black and white because they used a photo of her from 1961. And so, and she says 1961. And so my problem with that is they used multiple photos and video of Nathan to recreate him. She's implying that they only had one photo of her from 1961. They uploaded her since the conversion, which means she didn't have any photos between 1961 and 2030. (laughs) that's <laughs> right. just that's just like you didn't think all this through yes there's there's some stuff where and they had color photos I'm in 1961 sh- by the way i'm yeah i'm sure you could find a, a number of, of plot holes hey you know the the red-haired um like bellboy guy who's kind of for all intents and purposes janet uh M- janet yeah. yeah janet but maybe more robotic yeah, he's more background, but there's a, bu- like a bunch of this guy. Like he's literally an AI, which is hilarious. If you were going to make an AI, why wouldn't you make it, you know, multiple different people? Yeah. But that's uh, actually Greg Daniels' son, Owen Daniels. Oh, that's kind of cool. And so he's also a writer on the show, and he also did Space Force. And I found as I watched that right. he was so he was so hit or miss. Um. Like he, he would either be hilarious yeah, 
or like uh that was just you, you whiffed on that whole delivery there but right like i appreciate he like he's throwing everything at the screen i i totally forgot that greg daniels also did space force which the trailer came over that this week by the way and it looks fun yeah and similar to like i think mike sure is maybe i don't know if his hiring of writers is is maybe better or if greg daniels is is better on the like full plot um full challenging plot side you know where there's there's a lot of stuff going on it's not necessarily like like a town <laughs> or an office yeah it's like we're dealing with a, a world of um ai and consciousness slash a world of like politics and um sci-fi space force military i just don't know if i can give greg daniels the edge over mike sure in in any of these capacities because i we know that I he's a great world th- builder but we we also know that he's a great conceptualist i, I mean mike sure yeah i know i i don't think you can i just think like together they're definitely a match made in heaven like i i wish they would combine again on something yes um because did greg daniels also work on parks and rec no he didn't at all I mean, he might have consulted or something, but that was Mike Sure's sure, yeah. first show on his own. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I I don't know. I am um, I'm into it. I I don't know if I'll rewatch. Maybe I will rewatch it again. But it just kind of felt like the first season of a show like Parks and Rec, like having just gone through Watch the Parks and Rec again, where yeah. you're like, they're on to something here. Like they're they're finding their their footing. And I think by the second season, it'll be. Uh, It'll be really, really kind. I do kind of find his girlfriend Ingrid to be a little over the top hateful too. Um, and, and just the fact that you can like sign with one signature, you can sign your commitment to be with this person who you have no legal um, relationship to, like without a lawyer present, that was like a little far-fetched for me. I know it's a sitcom, but I struggled with the right. way that happened. <laughs> yeah, it was so rushed. Yeah, it was really rushed and kind of, I just didn't totally understand, but whatever he's also like when he's dying he's really lucid and chill he's just like ah oh, really i don't want to be with you forever <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh and and that gets explored a little bit more too and so do some of the some of the family connections and you know the connections with his partner and ingrid herself too like there's no one who's who's one-dimensional that's that's the thing i kind of liked about the show is you really get the you start to like characters that you don't think you are going to like. Right. Which is always the sign of a, of a good show too, where, where you, they make them more nuanced than just, well, she is the rich girlfriend. Right. And she's kind of a, an idiot and like her, her feelings shouldn't be taken into consideration here. Do we see more of the guy who shows him the bagel glitch where if you close the uh, microwave really fast, it'll glitch a bagel into the basket? Uh, yeah. Is that the, uh, um, I think that it becomes like kind of his, that's another character in the show. Like it's, I it's like, like him. A fr- it's a, it's a friend who's kind of like the same age. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, but he kind of like becomes a little like obsessed with him. Like he, he oh. really starts to like love him. Okay. Which, which is another element of it too. Like, you know, that's, that's 
they just they're doing a good job of making the characters grow you see a lot of it throughout the first season the only other strange thing i found um was the omnipresence of 51st dates which makes multiple appearances in the first episode uh in the opening scene of the first episode we're on the subway and somebody is watching on it's not an ipad but it's some futuristic like projection is watching 51st Dates, and there's a scene in 51st Dates where Adam Sandler is singing with a ukulele to Drew Barrymore, a song he wrote called Forgetful Lucy. And they play all of Forgetful Lucy in the opening 45 seconds of this show. They give us all of it. I don't know why. And then later on in the episode, Nora is, uh, she's watching some kind of um, uh, AR... Uh, uh, so what is it like augmented reality thing where she's Drew Barrymore in Fifty First Dates? She's watching it on goggles, and so Adam Sandler is talking to her, and she's saying the Lucy lines, which I found really crazy. And then, by the way, her boss at work is named Lucy. And so I was like, what? This, you could have picked another thing. I don't know. Maybe it was. I don't know if that's supposed to represent something, but it was. Yeah, and, and good on you. Good on you for picking that up. I I don't. I think I was like kind of. I don't know if I was fully into the first episode. Yeah. Like I was, but I was also like kind of tired. I think it was Sunday night or something. And I was just like, Oh, whatever. We'll throw on this episode kind of thing. I'm glad you found something to watch a full season of, but I was not into this first episode and I can't give it my ass. I thought it was just too, it it wasn't working for me. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I would urge you, but I know that you won't watch it. I don't know. Like, but. there's lots of shows that I wouldn't recommend, but I would watch anyway. It's the kind of thing that I could put on an episode two after Becky goes to bed some night and be like, well, I could watch this or I could watch a rerun that I've seen 38 times. Might as well give it another episode. But I, I don't recommend it based on the pilot. All I can say is I think it really finds its footing. Okay. It really, like in the same way, like I was talking about community and Parks and Rec, you're kind of like reluctantly watching it until you start really enjoying it, which is kind of a gratifying feeling. Yeah. Makes you feel like you're working for it, although you shouldn't have to work for it. You should just (laughs) like it all. Yeah. Follow the gen philosophy. You shouldn't have to work for your entertainment. It's true. This is you time. Yeah. All right. uh, You can recap the first episode of Hollywood. Less to say about this show, I suspect, but uh, I'll count you down. Um, and you sure. can take you can take as long as you need. <laughs> okay, thank <laughs> to you. To recap the first episode of Netflix is Hollywood in three, two, one, go. Okay, so a veteran of World War II wants to get into the talkies in Hollywood. So he uh, tries to become an extra, but after trying to convince a casting producer that doesn't appreciate his lack of training and misplaced confidence, he gets down on himself uh, and he takes a job at a gas station, which he realizes is actually a prostitution ring. He goes all the way with a rich old gal, but draws the line at dudes. (laughs) After more poverty, he recruits a gay screenwriter that he fake arrests in a gay movie theater. Then business is booming. (laughs) Because of that business, he gets uh, an in into a walk-on role in a Hollywood picture, but then gets jammed by the fuzz in a sting operation. How's he going to get out of this one? That pretty pretty much covers it. He guiltlessly decides to to buy into uh, Dylan McDermott's weird like gigolo gas station because he's handsome and dumb and shiny. And he has a tender um, engagement with Patti LuPone. 
And yeah, like you said, he does. He won't do the guys. He won't do Cole Porter, which, by the way, he, he drew the line at Cole, specifically Cole Porter. Uh, yeah, I love how Dylan McDermott was like, because you won't do Hollywood. <laughs> Cole Porter. Cole Porter. Royalty, I think it's like. Cole Porter wrote, I'll be home for Christmas. That's my Cole Porter fact. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, right. And so th- that's right. Then he then he uh, he enlists uh, Archie. Is that his name? Who's who's this like screenwriter who's written this movie about some tragic true story of a woman who was unwelcomed by Hollywood and so she jumped to her death from the Hollywood sign and apparently Hollywood this is sign. from this is this is supposed to be like the going script right now except no nobody who's interested in the movie knows that he's black and so that could be problematic when he comes to try and get his movie made that's how episode right. two develops they bring in Darren Chris and. It really seems right. to it, by episode two you realize oh this is a show about like a bunch of people who are going to come together to make a movie and in doing so they're going to change movies in a way that movies weren't actually changed in the 1940s because it's kind of again a Tarantino-esque revisionist history of a golden age that could have been a little better. Um, Did you watch episode two? Yeah, and by the way, in episode two um, we find out the guy who Archie hooks up with the guy who like who like bashfully comes and takes Archie to a hotel room and they have like a nice time. We find out in episode two, he's Rock Hudson. Oh. So there there are dealing a little bit in real people, but with right. a fictionalized story. Okay. Mega I saw cast. That some, Go ahead. I saw that some people, uh, some like critics are like, um, you're doing a complete disservice to... Uh, some of the actual like i don't know uh exactly how to phrase this but some of the actual like important parts that shouldn't be glossed over yeah um i don't know i just it seems so like i'm not sure what ryan murphy is anymore i feel like a great way to put it at some point he was he was kind of doing like interesting and important stuff and this just seems like the most like gratuitous um actor porn yeah that you could have like it's literally it's trying to hit everything like i think it's just a great example of of filmmakers losing sight of the fact that their audience isn't made up of film nerds like don't get me wrong like i love hail caesar and i love i loved la la land and i loved once upon a time in hollywood but i didn't love them because i'm a student of film you know what i mean like it'd be like if i went on the radio and only talked about radio and there's like there's such a there's such an instance of that in hollywood because they're narcissists uh and there's like a long history of uh award shows really honoring self-congratulatory stuff like movies about movies i realize this is a show um but i'm sure there is some glossing over of some important historical moments i don't think the show necessarily pretends to be uh truthful or honest i think i think it would tell you it's it's fiction except a lot of people aren't going to know the difference like a lot of people unless you're like going on wikipedia after every episode and like looking up who rock hudson was you might just think oh okay that's exactly what happened to rock hudson and maybe it wasn't right yeah it's um i don't know it didn't do it for me like i i was kind of looking at my watch through the the latter half of the episode it had to be expensive to make though 
Well, that's what I was thinking. The like set this, pieces, my God. Like, well, I guess once you get to Ryan Murphy status, you're just sure. like, you, you've got a license to print money at this yep. point. Yeah, that's but true. I, I just think that, yeah. I mean, I I think where he and like Shonda Rhimes started, and where they might end, might be places of um, you know they really started from a place of like passion, right, and interest in a certain story to like sure whatever I'll throw my name on this thing. I guess so, except for that I think um I think Shonda Rhimes is a businesswoman. Like I think she's just decided this is this is where I have power and it works right. and she's killed it. I think I think you could say the same of Ryan Murphy. Like let's let's not um this is not really his project. Like he didn't he he didn't write this show, he didn't he didn't direct it. It's other people. Oh, he it's didn't. Just, okay, well, that's just that, under that's his umbrella. Understanding too. Okay, but that's that. But you're right though, because they do put his name on it intentionally. So you'll think like, how does this guy make three shows a year? Well, he doesn't. He's just their boss. Right. Um, and he certainly has made good shows. I love the OJ show. I I would never enjoy, um, American Horror Story. But uh, we watched the whole first season of The Politician, even though we felt kind of similarly about that. We we're like, this is ridiculous. And I watched the whole thing. And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to watch all of Hollywood, too, because I, I just yeah. am. I am. I, and it's, I agree with what you're saying. It's not that good. I don't give it my ass. But I'm going to watch it because I am kind yeah. of a nerdy film guy. And I just I like how palatable this kind of stuff is. And, and while cool. I mentioned uh, The Politician, the lead guy in this who plays Jack, uh, David Cornswet, I think his name is. Yeah, he, he played like handsome boyfriend who's dead in the politician. Um, All right. And so I don't understand why this guy is only getting Ryan Murphy stuff. He is stupid, charismatic, very good looking. He looks like John Krasinski meets Henry Cavill. He, he I was I was thinking like I, I checked a couple times to make sure it wasn't Henry Cavill. And he and talks like, like no, Army Hammer. Younger. He talks like Army Hammer. So you like <laughs> bring all those things together. You got a movie star. Do something else. That's true. I think this is pre- this could be a good take. Like if you can uh, timestamp this episode and <laughs> and just like do a screen grab of that audio and throw it out there just for a t- for your uh, show show time capsule. Exactly. Well, in an episode like, well. two, we get a little view of his screen test, and he, it turns out he's actually not a very good actor. And I think oh, okay. I think it's hard for good actors to pretend to be worse to actors. Be actors. I think that's a sign of a good actor. That's fair. So I like the lead guy. I like um, Maud Apatow. She plays his wife. They got a lot of good people in this. Oh, no way. But um, but I just don't think the show is important. That's so interesting that you said Maud Apatow because I just kind of was thinking like with Judd Apatow, I don't think he would lend his name to something that he wasn't fully um, on board with. Yeah, you like to think he has that integrity. And I don't necessarily think Ryan Murphy doesn't have that integrity. He might think this show is bomb. Yeah. And he might have been involved in the, like the ground floor planning of it too. I suspect he probably was. Well, and to a certain extent, like it, it is, um, it's definitely kind of incredible to, to watch. Yeah. Visually it's very bright. Yeah. It's, it's kind of got that like once upon a time in Hollywood, like, you know, bright Hollywood sheen. But once upon a time in Hollywood is an excellent title for that movie. And Hollywood is such a bland title for this show. Yeah, you're right. It's so boring. In the second episode, they pan up to the Hollywood sign, and it's still the Hollywood land sign. 
we did a little research and apparently like when the sign first went up, it was really just a real estate advertisement trying to advertise this new neighborhood to buy houses in. And it just became so iconic that it was like um, sturdied and left up. And that was after the land part was taken down. But it, originally it said Hollywood land. And so part of me thinks that the show should be called Hollywood land because it's still that in this era. On the other hand, yeah. it's, it's clearly a show about the changing of the guard in Hollywood. And so maybe it is better that it's called the thing it became. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> it's right. funny. I was trying. I was really trying to think of who his wife was. It's so funny that that's Maude Apatow. That's her. Yep. How old is she now? I don't know. Probably like twenty-five. Hmm. Interesting. She had an arc on Girls, which is a while ago, and that's a Judd Apatow show. Yeah, but she was not like in her twenties for that. Right? I think she played a high school student. I think that Lena Dunham okay. was like a like a substitute high school teacher in later episodes of that. Right, right, right. I think that was what was going on. So we talked about um, sitcoms getting together for reunion table reads and virtual get-togethers. They did the Fresh Prince one. I think we talked about that. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Will Smith got quite emotional when they did a little tribute to the late James Avery, Uncle Phil. Yeah, did he say first things first, R.I.P. Uncle Phil? Like, was that a that was kind of like a trending thing, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't hear that. First things first, R.I.P. Uncle Phil. That's a real I throwaway. Just, I felt like it was coming up a lot of a it's, lot of. That's places. not a tribute. That's very casual. Yeah, yeah. It just made it seem like um, he was, but but like because it was, it became a phrase over the last week. Like first things first, I'm the realist. I, okay. <laughs> first things first, R.I.P. Uncle Phil. Man, that song is so in my brain that anytime somebody says first things first, I, I fill in the rest of the blank. And first things first has always existed as a euphemism or as a, a turn of phrase. And for the rest of my life, when people say first things first, I'm in my head, I'm going to go, I'm the realist. I'm the realist. Yeah. <laughs> what and what happened to uh, Iggy Azalea? Not really around anymore. I know she had a, she had to cancel a tour. Like she she was so famous and then... In the in like in the time it took her to get a tour together, she got so unfamous that they had to cancel the tour. I know we're talking about Will Smith, and I'm gonna let you finish, but <laughs> but I had a a weird um, a full circle thing happen with Jen, and it was one of those like one of those like I don't know if you've seen those memes where the girls like concerned about what her boyfriend's thinking about, and her boyfriend's always thinking about like the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. So I was thinking, for some reason, I had a Rooney song stuck in my head. This is where it started. Okay. Rooney. They were on like one episode of the OC. Anyone outside of the OC universe would not know who Rooney is. They're the, one of those bands. Grey's Anatomy has a lot of those bands that we only know because of Grey's Anatomy. That's right. And like season two, when they owned the the music, they didn't own it, but like they, there was like a big like um, venue. Right. music venue where a lot of the episodes kind of took place in and there were like like modest mouse played it and like you know it was cool. there were a bunch of like serious bands. i think the killers were in an episode but um i remembered i i had that rooney song stuck in my head and then i started thinking about the venue and then i started thinking oh yeah that was the season that olivia wilde was in and then i started thinking that rachel bilton was also in it and how Olivia Wilde got married to Jason Sudeikis and how Rachel Bilson is now dating Bill Hader. Right. 
And then I thought, do you think that Bill Hader was just buddies with Jason Sudeikis and then Rachel Bilson was just buddies with Olivia Wilde and that's how they kind of got together. I mean, that is how friends meet each other. Yeah. And so I, I did, I was like, Jen, do you think that's what happened? You sound like page six. You sound, you sound worse than me. And Jen goes, why were you thinking about this? (laughs) And I said, you know, the band Rooney. (laughs) (laughs) And so anyways, that's, that's a, a a long walk for a short drink of water. But um, apparently Rachel Bilson, the way that Rachel Bilson and Bill Hader met was on the scene of a movie called the to-do list. Yeah, we've talked about this before. The to-do list was written and directed by Bill Hader's wife at the time. Wife. Okay. His okay. his wife we at the time, it. they're not together anymore, but Bill Hader and Rachel Wilson had a sex scene in that movie, and now they're a couple, and Bill's not with his wife anymore. That is kind of weird. That is kind of weird, but it's so many years later. It, it was, was a comedy sex scene, too. It was like a goofy sex scene. It wasn't like romantic. Right, and... She was also married to someone else at that point. And I mean, it's seven years later now that we find out that they're actually. Is it crazy that I still like when you were telling that story just now, you're like, you paused after you said, and Rachel Bilson is dating. And I was going to go Adam Brody. (laughs) It's going to be like, (laughs) really for a second. I was like, oh yeah, they're still together. Like there's a part of me that still thinks uh, Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams are together. (laughs) <laughs> well we we also did a thing of okay who did olivia wilde date in the oc yeah and i said i think it's ryan or ryan's brother and jen said what no it was definitely seth and then we both kind of were like wait was it marissa and it ended up being seth and marissa <laughs> because of the oc oh well exactly yeah they're dealing with a pretty small little gene pool. Yeah. I also I also made the claim that Olivia Wilde was the first girl to do like the high hair thing. The, the bump high, it. Like, the bump it thing. And Jen was like, no, you <laughs> idiots. She was not the first person to do Well, that. Jen would know better than both of us. But it sounds to me like the OC is probably responsible for bringing a lot of big things to the culture because that was an influential show. Maybe they made the well, killers. Like I said, I said Grey's Anatomy a few minutes ago. Like we for sure only know the song How to Save a Life or the song Chasing Cars because of Grey's yes. Anatomy. They also kind of brought Tegan and Sarah to the fold. There's a lot of those little yeah. things that we would not know. And you don't even necessarily know their origin, but like shows that pride themselves in having an indie soundtrack or one sensitive song over the final montage before the epilogue. Like those, those can make people. Yeah. And by people, I mean bands. Right. It's totally true. Totally true. Um, but uh, the other takeaway from that is Olivia Wilde, the most famous person to come out of the OC. Um, yes. Well, yes. I mean, she directed a movie last year, which was not a hit except for that. It's already got like cult status. Like we've already decided we slept on Booksmart, and you and I agree. That's a great movie. And so she's going to yeah. get another shot. She is in a high profile celebrity marriage. She has not done a lot of big time acting. She was on House. She's never been like a big movie star, unless I'm forgetting like a glaring example. Um, you, I mean, you, she was in Tron, which was a flop, but huge it was flop. Uh, like 
blockbuster um, budget. It doesn't have a ton of cool factor, although it doesn't totally lack cool factor either. But Ben McKenzie was on, he was the star of Gotham. And that was on for like six years. That's not a small thing. That's a network show that has, like he can do Comic-Con for the rest of his life, having been Jim Gordon on Gotham. Right. And he's married to wife of Deadpool. Yes, Marina Baccarin. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's right. They were both here in Nova Scotia like last summer filming something. I didn't know that. That's cool. Actually, I think she was yeah. also in Gotham, now that I think about it. And you're, you, we certainly would have thought that... Um, well, I heard uh, Mindy Kaling on Fresh Air last week. She was talking about... Because she was talking about Never Have I Ever and talking about like uh, crushing on boys and how that's like something that's inherent to her brand because it's true to her and that's what the show is about also. And she was talking about how... Um, there's a term that she uses called uh, NBC hot. And so it's like a guy who's like very handsome and uh, has uh, like a symmetrical face. He's not threatening looking like he's not beastly, but he's like kind of awkward and shy, but he's like objectively great looking like Paul Rudd or Seth Meyers. And like, I think, <laughs> I think if I know what she means, Adam Brody is like archetypal NBC hot. And we would have thought right. for sure that guy had the bones to become a movie star, and he kind of didn't. Totally. Penn Badgley got it guy? instead. Yeah. Is he not, like, enjoyable to work with? Was all of the, like, riffing that he did too much for people to handle? Yeah, maybe they're like, Adam, can you stop drawing girls? Can you stop, like, drawing people's faces? That's my that's my only Seth Cohen memory. You drew people. <laughs> but a lot of his lines were, like, like somewhat improv so i don't know if he was like a misplaced groundlings character he was funny yeah he was the he funny was one of the funny. show it's a good avenue for him and he did like some i don't know almost like webcast adjacent <laughs> shows he probably has tons of money somehow i don't know how but he probably is fine good investment just long boards down the venice boardwalk and smokes clothes <laughs> <laughs> in any case all this to say, never trust we were Rooney. About Will Smith, <laughs> <laughs> never trust Rooney. I have nothing else to say about Will Smith. Certainly not that can top top our uh, our totally planned OC discussion. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy we had it though. Me too. Yeah. I'm happy I can have it with someone who can appreciate it. <laughs> I miss you, buddy. I know. I think to a certain extent, maybe the shows will get better. Yeah the less we see each other because there's less crossover of us, you know, just like talking beforehand about this stuff. Well, I think we were good this week. I think we were good. Uh, we have now officially reminded people to never trust Will Smith, which is uh, imperative. And that's uh, right. RIP Uncle Phil, I guess. That's the that's the other takeaway. First things first, RIP Uncle Phil. <laughs> I'm the realist. <laughs> <laughs>